the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, folks. <laughs> Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, well that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into uh, hour two of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour has been on the show before. It's been quite a while, though, uh, after uh, a book he wrote um, back then called uh, Everybody Dies, Everyone Dies Famous, I think is the title of the book. But he has a new book called Dead Heat. And uh, he joins me by phone, Len Joy. Len, welcome to the show and welcome back. Uh, thank you. It's, it's dry heat, Tom, dry heat. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know what made <laughs> okay. me think dead heat, but, uh, and, and that's what I get for not having it sit, sitting here right in front of me. Um, but uh, can, can you um, give us a little, little premise of the, uh, of the book, a synopsis maybe? Yeah. Um, well, it actually was inspired. I worked in um, Arizona for over 15 years. I ran a, a struggling engine rebuilding company from about the early 80s to uh, 2000, uh, late 80s to 2000. And uh, one of my employees, uh, you know, a woman, uh, her son uh, was driving, fooling around. She was 18 years old on the uh, interstate and uh, sort of dueling with other cars. And someone in his car, his truck actually, uh, fired a shot, fired a gun at another car. And uh, it was, you know, a stupid incident. Uh, as in it turned out, the other car was driven by an off-duty police officer. Uh, and that, um, her son was the only, uh, he was 18, the other kids were minors. He was charged with attempted murder of a police officer. And uh, he had the, you know, then remember the day she went to court for a plea trial uh, arrangement. They were going to go to court. They thought they had a pretty good case. You know, he wasn't. He didn't wasn't a shooter. He never had any record or anything else. He was given a choice: either uh, go to trial, face possibly twenty years in prison, or take a three-year deal. And they took the, the plea deal. And instead of going to college, he went to jail. And that um, that incident and just the way how your life can get turned upside down in an instant uh, just stuck with me. That was like 20 years ago, and I, you know, I kept in touch with Michelle, the uh, the mother of the boy, and and you know talked about how what his experience was like uh, with that incident going to going to prison and and even coming out and trying to rebuild his life, and. Now, Dry Heat isn't about that story, but that it was that inspiration that uh, you know, made me create a story about a, a young man who's 
got everything going for him, and then something happens and his life is turned upside down. Well, yeah, and in the in the case that that uh, inspired you, um, boy, how how would you how would you characterize that a a really really bad choice or really really bad luck? Yeah, I I think the the lesson I was looking at some other uh, some other interviews, like one of the things I take away from it is that this can happen to anyone, really. I mean, your life and. Yeah, but but not everybody would pick a car that had an off-duty. No, I mean, it, I just, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I mean, he was he made a mistake, and you know, he, he paid a price. And you know, the case where the police officers they were dealing with, you know, he wasn't he wasn't behaving properly either. But that was, you know, it was a bad bad situation. I, I mostly my as a having kids of my own and at the same time my, my son was about the same age as this young man and it was the agonizing decision a parent has you know, like the parents helping, trying to make the decision. What do you you know you, you wanna you know, fight this but it's just a difficult uh, choice. You don't want you know, if someone goes away for twenty years, that's basically their life. So uh, it was a really you know, heart-rending decision. And I was sort of pleased when I had the book launch in Arizona last um, two weeks ago, and uh, uh, she, she was there, and we, you know, we talked about her son has recovered and got a you know has, has a job, kept a job, but you know it's a difficult you know, difficult situation to start your life as a as a, as a felon. Our- uh, but you know. How many books do you have now, Len? Uh, this will be my fourth novel. Uh, my first, you know, I, I started writing pretty much right after I, you know, I'd always wanted to be a writer, but I got that uh, sort of, uh, it was discouraged early on and decided to go into business, and that was probably the right decision for me. But, uh, you know, 30 years later, after I've been running this company for quite a while and flying back and forth between Chicago and Phoenix, I I had time to, you know, develop a lot of experience and stories, and uh, I started uh, taking writing courses in 2003 as we uh, closed down the business, and just started writing short stories, and and decided I could, I should take my shot at writing a novel. And, you know, I thought it'd take me a year, and it took me like eight years. Uh, but my first novel, American Pastime, was published in 2014. And I follow that up with a Better Days, uh, and then the Everyone Dies Famous, which is what we talked about it back in, uh, I guess it was 2016, 2018. Uh, it's about every two years now I've been able to, to get something out. Uh, I try to write about, I like to write about, I'm a, you know, a triathlete, and I like to write about sports. And mostly, I guess, my themes have been uh, guys who have uh, uh you know, have, the cheering has stopped, you know, like what, how they live their lives uh, after, uh, you know, after their careers are over. You know, in the American pastime, it was a, a minor league baseball player who doesn't quite make it to the majors. You know, his life, um, what it is, you know, over the next 20 years as he struggles to make his way. Um, the, the twist I had with, um, with Dry Heat is that Joey Blade, the main character, is a 
you know, he's all set to go to the University of Arizona on a football scholarship. Good looking, handsome uh, uh, athlete. Uh, and, you know, he just loses that all. He, he never has really a chance for the cheering, but, uh, you know, it was like he was on the cusp of doing something he really loved and, you know, life threw him a curve. And I, I'm curious where the stories. Um, how do you uh, pick up on the stories? Are they always inspired by something you've heard or read or, or some event that has happened, and then um, you pick up on some message out of that story and, and develop a story that, that pushes that message? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think I read a lot about like, people have different ways to be inspired, and I, you know, like my first story, I was always a baseball fan. I always have been, and, uh, you know, I had a, you know, I'm a Cubs fan, and, you know, one of the stories from the Cubs lore was like a <laughs> guy that, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but I, he had a I perfect game going. I I shouldn't I shouldn't laugh about you being a Cubs fan, Len, because I live in Michigan, <laughs> and there's there's a great cartoon that shows um, a lion and a lion cub standing on a mountain, and um, and and one is saying to the other, um, "What's the Super Bowl?" <laughs> and the other one says, "I don't know." <laughs> A lion's <laughs> never been to the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, well, the Cubs made it finally, so there once. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm just saying, I'm I'm nobody to laugh, you know, at somebody because of their hey. their sports franchise. Um, but but there's an element to your books, Len, um, where. Everything's going in one direction, and then fate intervenes. Yeah, oftentimes that's the. Do you think you would you would be writing stories with that element, had you been encouraged rather than discouraged as a writer early in your life? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I I don't know. I mean, I I I remember. You know, I vividly remember that young boy being crushed by his professor. And I think now, you know, he was just too sent. I mean, I, I'm, I'm much more uh, understanding of the professor. I mean, he's just doing his job. And I was like, I was too young and sensitive at the time. And But I, I took that lesson, I guess, in, in like when I'm workshopping and criticizing anyone, the number of people, you know, your criticism can have a tremendous uh, impact and you know, should be very judicious and considerate when, when delivering it. But, well, you should uh, at, at yeah, least I think give it, it probably, the, uh, the constructive test. You know, is it constructive or destructive? Yes. And, I mean, I, it's a hard lesson sometimes to tell people. It's like just, you know, just because they someone doesn't like your work, it, it they're not necessarily right. You know, you don't have to take everything to heart. You can find, sometimes you can find something good out of there. And sometimes you just have to ignore it. But it is hard. I mean, I know it. Uh, and, yeah, I think uh, it, uh, it it changed my 
yeah, you know, I, it, it was a favor for me because I, I don't think I was ready to be a writer, but I, uh, I wish I had a little more time to write now. I wish I wish I'd started a little earlier, but uh, uh, keeps me focused. I figure I, I, uh, I are, are you able to write full time? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I say full time. I mean, a lot of the time, it's. I mean, I, I like to read other people's work. Uh, and, you know, as a, the publishing, I'm published by PQP Publishing. We're all sort of uh, aspiring uh, uh, writers trying to, you know, make it to the big time. And so we support each other and we write, you know, we read each other's work and, and uh, uh, you know, review it and, and, and encourage each other. So I, and I find I learn a lot by reading other people's um, novels. So uh, that's you know, part of what I say I'm writing full time. Sometimes, sometimes reading and critiquing other work, but. Yeah, I'm trying to do something every day to move the story. Like I have another novel in process now. You know, it's been forty thousand words in, and it's probably you know a year away at least. But, and I'm still trying to figure out exactly how it's going to end. You know. Um, do you get what kind of feedback are you getting from from other writers when you're doing these uh, uh, exchanges. Yeah. Uh, this latest novel, particularly, I, mean, I, I really encourage, I already had, it's just been out for a week, uh, Dry Heat. Uh, it's got over 30 Amazon reviews. And, you know, it's getting high ratings. And, you know, what I like, because I'm just basically, I feel I'm a storyteller, and so I, I want, you know, to tell a story that people will enjoy. You know, I'm not, it's not a polemic, uh, but it, it's just, you know, basically a love story about a boy who loses everything but his heart is the tagline and uh, it's a uh, uh, you know I've had five or six people in their reviews say you know this could be a film and and that that excites me because that's always something I've been interested in and I've you know been talking with a you know some people in the you know the independent film business to see what it might take to help uh you know, convert it into a, a feature film. Uh, I write cinematically. It's not a lot of introspection or rumination. It's, it's a lot of it's a, a well-paced novel, lots of action and dialogue. So I mean, it could be it could be made as a film. Do you write um, somewhat visually? I was looking at the cover of uh, Dry Heat, and you know, it it. it it, it's kind of compelling. It it, it it definitely tells you where you are. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, I, I I always like I, I write scene by scene and I do, you know, I just have to, you have to have a sense of where you are and, and that's the first thing I, I do in any, I start on a chapter and say, well, what's the setting? Where are, how, what's, what's it all look like? So I, I see it in my head, and and you know I try to put that down on the page. Um, hey, Lynn, I I hate to interrupt, but I have to take no, a I have to take a break here, so um, we need <laughs> to put a comma on our conversation. Can you stick around okay. so we can talk a little more? Sure. Okay, it'll just be uh, just a few minutes, and we'll be back with uh, more. If um, 
We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that Everybody's mouse. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom What are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, 
Where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, my guest uh, this hour is the author of a new book called Dry Heat, and uh, he joins me by phone. His name is Len Joy. Len, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, thank you. Um, Len, we were t- talking a little bit about the uh, about the cover of the book, and, and there's something very southwest about the look and feel of the book. How important is the location in, in the stories you tell? Uh, I, uh, I mean, to me, it's critical. I mean, I've written a couple that take place in the hillbilly country of Missouri, and uh, I mean, that's just part of the... The culture that uh, and, you know that imbues all the characters and, and the Southwest. I mean, the dry heat notion runs through this. The theme of this book is like dry heat is something you know, it's like it's comfortable, but it will kill you because you don't know how uh, you know what's happening. And uh, it's just that uh, you know, a lot of the the, the action takes place in the uh, surrounding uh, the Phoenix Mountain preserves of. Uh, around uh, around Phoenix, uh, and it, it just creates a to me a great setting to uh, to tell the story. And in the second half of the story, the main character lives up off the grid in the mountains, uh, you know, beyond Phoenix. And I can visualize it really well, and I think I just love the cover. I, mean, I, I didn't have anything to do with it. I say I, I like that one. And they, they picked it. Yeah, the cover just screams Southwest, and and I am reminded of some conversations I've had with other writers about the importance of place in in telling a story, because very often uh, uh, different kinds of stories lend themselves to different places. Yeah, absolutely. And and really, that has a lot to do with the characters too. I, when I when I look at the cover of uh, of the new book, Len, I couldn't help thinking of uh, C.J. Box. And I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he no, writes I'm not. he he writes a lot of stuff um, based in the Southwest, uh, the Bitterroots, and and some other things. In fact, uh, uh, the the ABC television show The Big Sky is based on his oh, okay. uh, books sure. and, and uh, characters and, and writing and so on. Um, but, you know, he's he's so rooted in the Southwest that when I looked at the cover, I thought, man, that looks like it could be a C.J. A Box book. Um, it, and, it, and it really does tell you where you're going to be when you open the book up and, and read. Um, when you're writing, you and you said in the last segment, just as we were getting ready to go to break, that you tend to write from scene to scene. Um, do you think you're, you're very visual when you write? 
Oh yeah, I, I try to see the, uh, you know, I, to me it's like a little film in my head. That, uh, you know, I sometimes I have to watch, uh, you know, like keep myself from just like describing every scene. You know, like you have to, you don't have to walk the character to the car, but I do like to see, you know, like set up the whole um, environment. Like what, you know, what are they wearing? What, you know, the scene opens in a in a playground with. Joey shooting baskets, you know, like, well, what, what kind of baskets, uh, you know, what's, what's going on there, the, just the, the activities, uh, uh, I think, you know, lets the player, you know, lets the reader know where you are in, in the action. Now, this is your fourth novel, Dry Heat? Yeah, yeah. Is there any connection between, uh, the other books you've written, or are they all standalone? Uh, the um, actually, the uh, when I I wrote my first novel, American Pastime. It was uh, when I first attempted it. You know, when I what what I when I thought it was complete and ready for publication, it was a like a fifty year epic. Uh, you know, went from the nineteen fifties to two thousand three, and followed this character. You know, throughout his. Uh, from his time as a baseball player to uh, you know, his decline and rise again, and I, I I had an editor who really liked it. I didn't like it. It really like it, but he didn't publish it. But you know, he said you'll never get as a debut author. It's too long. You need a short. You need to shorten it, and which is a difficult uh, advice to have to accept. But I I wanted to get published. I wanted it to be read, so I I cut it in half and I ended it in 1973. But so the good news for me was, like, one, I got it published, and I, I think it made it a stronger book, American Pastime, more focused. But I was able to then use that, a lot of that material that I had written you know, about the later years, and that became uh, a lot of the scenes and, uh, and developments that I, I used to write Everyone Dies Famous, which was my third novel. And that, uh, while they're, they're both standalone novels, they... You know, they have the same characters, they're just 30 years older. So th those two are, are connected. Um, Better Days is a, a story of a basketball uh, player who's a high school basketball hero who then has been coasting for the last 20 years on his you know, high school heroics, living in a small Illinois town. Uh, and that that's another standalone. And, you know, it's sort of a similar the alternative story from what a, a Dry Heap or uh, Joey Blade, the main character, another athlete, but never has a, you know, he hasn't had a chance to fail because, you know, his life is sort of interrupted in uh, before it's hardly begun. Yeah, as, as I said earlier, fate intervenes. Do you think of it that way, Len, that, that fate is intervening, or is this somehow where the character has gone awry. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination. I mean, it's like I try to take, you know, you, uh, a situation, you know, put the character in a, in a difficult situation, and, you know, there's a sort of a school of thought, like you don't have to know everything about your character when you start out, but you sort of put them in a, in a you know, a challenging situation and what happens what do they do how do they develop i mean that's 
sort of how I write. I don't have a clear uh, path as to, you know, where where is this story going? It's sort of a somewhat a step at a time, and like uh, you know, one thing leads to another. Uh, yeah, fate has a role in all of these things. Uh, uh, then you know, it's how the character deals with the hand that he's dealt or she's dealt. Uh, so I think there's, you know, for me, it's. Uh, I, I, I think that's that's the thing I like about, you know, I enjoy about writing is I don't, you know, I, I don't have a tightly plotted you know, like here's how the book's going to end. I, it's an adventure for me to find out, you know, how is this story going to end? <laughs> I know I can make it into a good story, but I'm not sure there's a lot of different directions it might go. You start bringing in characters and how they interact with each other, and that that can just, you can surprise yourself. I was going to ask you about the writing process. If you, um, you know, if, if you have a, a strict schedule and have an outline that you follow or if um, sometimes the story kind of tells itself yeah it's sort of a combination I mean I try to have a uh, some idea where I'm going I mean I always for some reason I always like to have the title of this book before I start just even if I'm going to change it so I start with that but I know you know I will um, do a very rough outline of where I think the story is going to go, and I check. I even make sometimes a spreadsheet of chapters, and, I, and then I track them. But it changes, you know, frequently. And like this latest novel I wrote, I got about 20 chapters in, and I realized I, uh, you know, I needed to change a major uh, relationship, and basically I had to start all over again. But it's not like it's not a loss. It's like it's sort of like working out. I have a schedule of work. Like I'm a, uh, as I said, I get, uh, participate in triathlon, so I'm training all the time. And I usually I spend my early mornings doing some kind of physical workout, and that uh, I find that really helpful in getting you know, just my mind going. And then you know, from, the, from about this time, you know, to one, two o'clock in the afternoon, uh, I try to work on, you know, actually. You know, writing what I've um, maybe been thinking about during the workouts. Now, you, you said something earlier that that was interesting. You count reading other books and other people's work as as really part of your writing process, as as part of writing full time. Is is sort of studying and learning from other writers. What other kinds of research? do you find yourself doing? Um, I mean, you know the story you're going to tell, but, but how often do you run into elements you want to include in the story that you need to to dig into and research a little? Yeah, I like to, I mean, I, I've been fortunate, like the readers I have had different uh, varied experiences, like in the uh, in dry heat, one of the, uh, the guys, the people who read, read all my stuff, is a he's a um, litigator, and you know I have a, a the, the the novel has a long uh, section of, of a courtroom scene at the trial, and you know I, it was really helpful to me to have him go through the uh, you know the scenes that where I you know I had sketched out of like trial procedures and you know what what attorneys say can't say, and, and you know that's 
just invaluable like hands-on experience. And then similarly, the uh, you know like the uh, a mother of the, the boy who went to prison. You know, like I have no prison experience, and I didn't want to write a, a prison drama because I don't you know have that expertise. And a lot of people have written better ones, but I did want to. I wanted to make the few scenes I had in prison realistic, and, and it's just there's no uh, substitute for you know hearing from someone who's you know has to go through the process of visiting someone in a, in a prison, all the bureaucracy and you know necessary security procedures that that they involve. It's just uh, uh, and you can't, I think the, the thing I learned from reading, I mean, I didn't look at us, you know, like now, with, you know, with the internet, you can find out information on almost anything. And I, I always look up like, you know, car models, and, uh, you know, guns and anything else that I'm not real familiar with. It's just, you have to be careful not to get caught up in your research and you know, want to share too much. It just, you have to be very judicious with the you want enough details so that you know the reader feels like this is real. This is you know, you know what you're talking about, but you don't want to turn it into a, you know, a lecture. I remember um, having uh, Mary Higgins Clark on the show several times, and and she mentioned frequently that she wasn't real good with technology. And I said, well, how do you write about? technology in some of your books and she says oh i got a guy (laughs) (laughs) i I thought you'd get a kick out of that after talking about that litigator helping with courtroom scenes she says i got a guy (laughs) um but anyway getting back to um to to the writing and and the uh the stories that that you tell um is there a genre you think your writing fits into? How would you describe your writing? Yeah, uh, that's always a challenge for me. I, I mean, it's like the, the categories, I consider it literary fiction, but it's sort of, uh, I think the last two books I've written, are the Better Days and, and Dry Heat, are you know, slotted as crime fiction. Uh, and just that there's so many different categories is that I, I, it's um, uh, I just look at it like I'm telling a story and it's a uh, character driven story with you know tends to be with uh, people who've uh, have stumbled or at a uh, had, had some success and is um, uh, now we're trying to you know, have, have the cheering has stopped. Though. I always say, "What are they living their lives?" But I, it, it's always a, you know, like you look on Amazon now, and there's like so many different ways they slice the uh, uh, the categories up, uh, and you know, I, I tend to put myself in a in a commercial fiction kind of uh, action oriented plots, but it's not, you know, it's not Lee Child kind of the stories or they're more like literary fiction with with action. Who who are some of your favorites? Do you feel inspired by writers, or are they um, mostly some of the people you feel are peers? Uh, both. I mean, I I always I loved Elmore Leonard, uh, you know, just the stories, and uh, you know, I've been watching the uh, 
one that uh, I liked, um, uh, Bosch, the Bosch series with Michael Connolly, and even uh, you know, just this isn't uh, really a writing thing. My wife and I we just finished watching the whole Reacher series. I'm gonna have to check him out. I've you known know, Giles for a long time as far as aware of his work. So uh, you know, they just tell good stories. Um, but I have. Have I you think, seen the new? Have you seen the new Reacher? Yeah, that the Amazon Prime series. Uh, we watched it over. We binge watched it over vacation. See, I've been I've been wanting to catch up on that series myself because I just recently had uh, the actor who plays the uh, the police, uh, the chief of detectives or or whatever, but the principal law enforcement guy. Yeah, uh, it's a great series. It's really well done, and they cast uh, Reacher like Lee Childs wrote him. You know, he's like a he's a six four giant and he's a big guy uh, and it's just good entertaining storytelling so, uh, and that's what I you know like I, I I've read a, a wide variety of my artists I, read, I love Joyce Carol Oates I've read you know I try to read everything she writes but she writes so much it's hard to keep up <laughs> I asked De- Debbie Maycomber one time if, uh, uh, because she'd written so many, so many books, a couple a year, for twenty or thirty years, and um, I asked her who had written more books, her or Stephen King, and she said, "Well, I think I have more titles, but I think Stephen wrote more words." <laughs> I thought, who does that count? You know. <laughs> Um, but what about what's what's next for you? What is what is this next story promising to be when it comes out a year from now? Uh, I um, it's called uh, uh, "Freedom's Just Another Word," and it's uh, right now it's sort of a mess. But it, it's a uh, you know one of the challenges I had was like I want to it's you know with the pandemic sort of puts this big seam and you know like the writing i can't uh, i started writing it when you know things were so much up in the air so i i, it, I have it taking place in in uh, 2018 uh and it's about a uh, it's a it's a chicago tribune columnist who uh, has fallen from grace 20 years ago he had an affair with his intern and, you know he just barely hung on to his job and he's been writing now he's driving Uber and he's trying to deal with the uh, 21st century world of newspapers, um, and and it just it has a lot of you know topical issues of you know the election that's coming up in 2020. Uh, uh, I'm not sure where it's going yet, but I uh, I've enjoyed. Yeah, but don't they all start out a little bit messy? Yeah, I hope so because <laughs> that's what this is. Um, and you know, it's like as I get closer and closer to what I think might be the ending, it's starting to come into focus. I just hope that you know, like you're sort of you always have this feeling like, will everybody, anybody like this, or you know, is this a, you know, because I I get so caught up in it, and I think this is boy, this is exciting and fun, and then you have to. It's always a little nerve wracking when you finally hand it over to someone else to to take a look at it. And, you know, I recognize I probably have to rewrite the whole thing anyways. 
so you know, I'm not and no longer all that concerned that you know if I, I I think I can make it work, but it, it, it's uh, you know how 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 it's going to come out. I still don't know. That's sort of the fun mystery. We'll see what happens. You know, writing is a pretty solitary thing. Um, Len, do you do you enjoy interacting with people? I mean, do you like the promoting part of the book, doing interviews like this one, and maybe book signings or readings and things? Oh yeah, even? I mean that's the fun part. I mean, I love. I mean, my most favorite literary event is if I could get a book club to uh, you know discuss the book. I you know I do it by Zoom or like my neighborhood. Uh, uh, when I crossed the street from where I lived, I had a book club, and they, they did Everyone Dies Famous. And that's just, you, know, it's just, you just sit there and watch, listen to you know people talk about something that you created. Uh, I don't have to say anything even. You know, I just uh, you know, I just enjoy. It. When when you hear people when you hear people pull one of your stories apart like that, do you do you hear elements you don't remember putting in? Oh, I think it's, yeah, sometimes it's like <laughs> people interpret it wholly, totally different from what I thought, but it's like yeah. that's their right. <laughs> no, I would think that would interest, it would be very interesting to, you know, tell a story and then, you know, in a way have it told back to you with a different perspective and, and think, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't really see it quite like that, but I... right. That seems like it'd be a lot of fun, Len. We're almost out of time, and uh, as as you may remember, um, I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website that you'd like to share? Yes, yes, I have a website. It's uh, lenjoybooks.com. www.lenjoybooks.com. You know, I'd love to have people, uh, you know, I have a, a newsletter that I put out about once a month, and I try to profile other uh, indie writers, you know, review work that they've done, not just vlog my own stuff. Uh, and, you know, I'd love to get people who are interested to, you know, sign up for the newsletter. Uh, and, you know, I could uh, share with them some of the things that I'm working on and other books that I've read. I, I would really you know, because that is the community I have. Like, uh, to answer your earlier question, yeah, I like to get out and talk with people. It is a solitary profession, so having that chance to to meet with other uh, writers and readers is just uh, really important to me. Well, Len, thank you so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning. Uh, it's it's a pleasure, and I hope you'll come back and talk to me again when. Uh, uh, freedom is just another word comes out, or whatever it's called when you get it. Yeah, right whatever it ends up. Thank you very much, Tom. I really uh, appreciate you giving me the opportunity to visit All right. Well, you take care. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Again, that's uh, Len Joy. His uh, new book is called Dry Heat. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 LPFM in Flint, Our Voices Radio is a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. 
But uh, we'll be back with um, more of the Tom Sumner program, lots more actually, um, after we take this this short break. And we've got, uh, oh, maybe a little music and comedy coming up in the next uh, segment. Don't forget tomorrow is Armchair Politics, as is the case every Wednesday on the Tom Sumner program. Tell you more about that later. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, 
table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not, is a major factor in dancing like a retard, may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them, also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people, and it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. From the Tom Sumner Show. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Another five-minute mystery. Our story takes place in Green's Gap, a small town in the Southern Cavern District. Green's Gap Hospital, Dr. Melville speaking. Doctor, doctor, there's been an accident out at Echo Cavern. Accident? What kind of accident? Two men were exploring and they got lost last night. One's unconscious. You better come quick before he's dead. I hope you know how to get out to Echo Cavern, man. Well, with the job of being town constable and ambulance driver, I reckon I know all there is to know about these parts. Ever been in the cavern, Len? Once, Doc Melville, when I was a boy. Nearly got my hide tanned off by my paw. Echo Cavern's a mighty treacherous place. You mean it's easy to get lost in it? Not only that, Doc. It's that cavern gas carbine. Mm, something. You mean carbon dioxide? Yeah, that's it. All of a sudden, you run into some of that stuff, and before you know it, Bean, you're out. Still, people seem to be going uh, exploring in there. More fools to be. I wouldn't go into them caverns, at least, till I was not without a dog. A dog? What for? Well, if a dog keels over, then you know the gas is collecting. I'm afraid, Mr. Gaddy, your friend is dead. Oh, poor Patsy. It wasn't from the gas, was it, Doc? That's what it looks like to me. Why'd you go into that cavern anyway? Patsy asked me to. We'd never seen a cave before. How far did you go in? Well, it didn't seem very far, but all of a sudden we lost our way. Where was that? Well, how do I know whereabouts it was if we was lost? We tried to trace our way back, but it was no use. Patsy started to get scared. It's kind of funny to see a big guy like that get scared. Yeah, he is rather big, isn't he? Yeah, six foot four. The mob used to call us Mutt and Jeff. And then what happened? Well, I was a little scared myself, but we stuck together. You know, walking in the dark with only my flash from the car. All of a sudden, Pat's keeled over. From the gas? Yeah, that's what I figured. His head hit on a rock, and I guess that just about finished him off. I suppose you reckon yourself pretty lucky, mister. Yeah, sure. I figure it's because I'm only five foot three that I got out of there alive. Gas must have been just about a foot over my head. Yeah, and what do you think about that, Doc Melville? I think you better arrest Mr. Gotti for the murder of his friend Patsy. What was the flaw in Gotti's story? Do you know it? In a moment, we'll hear from Lem and Dr. Melville.
And now, let's see whether you're as observant as Lem and the doctor. Hey, copper, let me put my hands down. They're tired. When you're in Green Gap's jail, not before. I don't get it. It was a good story. I still can't figure out how you found out. Lem tells me they used to take dogs in the cavern because the gas is heavier than air. It collects on the floor. If you really meant gas, you would have keeled over first, before your pal Patsy. Well, what do you know? I tell you, nowadays in this murder racket, you need a college education. Another five-minute mystery. This five-minute mystery featured the voices of Rhonda Groves Young, Randy Zimmerman, Sean Cantwell, and yours truly, Tom Sumner. Stay tuned to the Tom Sumner program for future mini-mysteries. This presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your Hollywood reporter, Don Hinckley, at the premiere of what is probably the most talked about motion picture of all time the story of the great love between the handsome Roman general and the Egyptian queen. We're hoping to interview the beautiful star of this epic. And, oh, I, I, I think we're in luck. Yes, yes, we are in luck. Here comes that great beauty now. Excuse me, would you like to say hello to your millions of fans? My name, Jose Iman. <laughs> hello to your millions of fans. <laughs> Of course, uh, everyone here knows the name of your picture, but I'm sure you'd like to mention it again. The name of my picture is Digit Goes Egyptian. <laughs> I always thought the uh, title of the picture was Cleopatra. Oh, no, no, no. Cleopatra is the name of our coming attraction. <laughs> coming attraction? That's right. Well, that picture cost $40 million. That's nothing. I was cost $100,000. Well, that's not so much. For a ticket? <laughs> Do you mean that you're charging $100,000 for one ticket? Why, I couldn't afford to see that picture. Would you like a free pass? <laughs> yes, I would. That'll uh, be $10,000. <laughs> How much did the picture actually cost to make? Including lunches. <laughs> why, why should lunches be so expensive? Do you know what it costs to smuggle corned beef into Egypt? <laughs> I guess costumes uh, must have cost you a fortune. Oh, costumes, my goodness. They... Costumes alone cost $50 million. I imagine uh, Cleopatra's costume was the most expensive. No, there we saved money. <laughs> Eight yards of saran wrap and some beads was all, all didn't, we needed for that. Didn't they uh, try to save money at all? Yes, we tried to save money at all. For example, one time we had this thing, you know, that was going on in a beautiful alabaster hall. And we had 30,000 dancing girls running around. And we had 20,000 musician people playing golden harps. And we had 40,000 slave girls pouring wine. Well, how did that save money? We used paper cups. <laughs> uh... That must have been the famous orgy scene? No, that was the famous coffee break. 
That's fantastic. Yeah, we swung on a set there. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I gotta tell you one thing, that the picture has a surprised ending, so nobody will be seated during the last five hours. <laughs> Well, it's obviously a very long movie, but uh, yes. do you plan to have intermissions? Yes, one intermission. Wednesday. <laughs> you guys can take Wednesday off. You mean the show lasts a whole week? Yes, if you see the cartoon. Cartoon? Yes, Ben-Hur. <laughs> Mickey Mouse plays Ben and Minnie plays her. Exactly how long have you been uh, working on this picture? Well, quite a while, because we had a delay one time. We had to lay off on account of the noise. What noise? World War II. <laughs> we had those tiger tanks going there. We were straight. It was really terrible. And then it was these guys with the pointed helmets. Jose. <laughs> Maybe it was World War I. Huh? <laughs> Sir, let's talk about your co-star's salary. I understand it's an astronomical figure. She certainly has. <laughs> I, you I, noticed that, yeah, huh? I'm talking about I'm her salary. I'm glad to see her Oh, your, her salary. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, you talk about what you want to talk about, and I'll talk about what I want. I understand that she makes $8,000 a day. Now, that's more than most people isn't make in a year. Isn't that something? $8,000 a day. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Sure. But is she really happy? Boy, is she happy. <laughs> You never heard such giggling in your life. It comes from that girl on payday, and you can hear it all the way across the street. But, Jose, yes. money doesn't buy happiness. No, but for $8,000 a day, you could rent it. Now that you've mentioned your beautiful co-star, I wonder if you'd answer the question the whole world is asking. I would be delighted to, as long as they don't ask it at once. Let them ask you one at a time. Let's start with India, if you like. Right. There's a lot of people over there. The question is... Yes? Are you going to marry your co-star? I will have to say it this time, and you can quote me on this, and I don't care if you quote me word for word and even better. I will marry the woman I love. You will? I always do. <laughs> I don't know what I could tell you about how much I love her. I would climb the top of the highest mountain. I would crawl on my little belly across all of the desert and the hot desert, and I would go across the most ragging rivers for her. When will you see her next? Tonight, if it doesn't rain. <laughs> Listen, you know, I got my good toga on. I don't want to spoil Jose, what would you say was your biggest problem in the picture? I would say my biggest problem in the picture was the asp. The uh, asp? Yes. You mean the snake? Yes, the snake asp, yes. <laughs> you see, that is snake. Had to come around and hug Cleopatra real tight and coil around her and come up and bite her right on the neck, you see? And it was my job to teach that asp how to do that. So, so, so what's wrong with that? He got it right the first time. I told him nobody likes a smart asp.
This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.